I have to tell the people about the Patreon. Yes, you do. Patreon.com slash SMDB. SMDB, like so many damn books. For just a dollar, you can join up and you get access to all the exclusive content that I record just for the Patreon. Also, you get to join the book club. The So Many Damn Books book club. It's been some of the best conversations I've had about books. It really always sounds like a blast. I usually like come home and just hear like giggles coming from the library. So it's a great time. You should join. And I would love to have more people join the fray. You may or may not know that Christopher runs this whole show himself on the hosting side, on the technical side, everything. This is a one-man show, truly. He does it all. Support your boy Christopher. Even at the dollar level really helps. So uh, join up patreon.com slash smdb i'd love to have you patreon.com slash smdb on with the show people seem to have liked the drink except for angela but that's all right because that was well that was a cocktail. very bad drink and mm. everyone was very polite about it <laughs> yeah that's true celery bitters you know i just um, they'll yeah. never they'll never come around no so many so many so many damn books hello and welcome to so many damn books my name is christopher my name is drew and we have carolyn mernick with us in the damn library today carolyn thanks for joining us hi welcome. hi there happy to be here um carolyn you know but the people out there might not <laughs> that you are an essayist and the online editor for new york magazine and you've gotten the emerging writer fellowship from aspen institute in 2014 and you're also the author of the memoir uh the hot one which has such a good um secondary title slug oh that's the hot one a memoir of friendship sex and murder it says it all yeah, yeah. I'm glad you guys like the subtitle yeah that, it's very good uh, there was a lot of uh, back and forth went into that really I well, can only actually, imagine. It was the subtitle that I originally had on my proposal when I first started working on this project a long time ago. And I kind of thought as the years went on, I would eventually come up with something better. And then <laughs> by, the time, by the time it was, you know, ready to sign off on the book, there wasn't anything better. So, right. Well, and ultimately, you know, that does say it all. Really? It really does. I think what one thing sort of um, with memoirs, I feel like they often try to push you into having a subtitle that is like my story of this. Mm. Or, yeah. And I, I definitely didn't want that. Right. And I did not want anything that had my or I in it in the subtitle. So that ruled out a lot. And, you know, <laughs> that's what happened. Well, I'm, I'm glad with what you were left with or what you started with, too. Thank you. What you started with and what you ended with were the same. That's not always the case. That's not always the case. Um, that's not that wasn't the case with this cocktail that I made for everybody mm-hmm. either. That's Ooh, my yeah, hey. like that transition. I did. Yeah, so this this one um was one of those drinks that I just kept adding things to. Um cuz I I the hot one um you were saying that you've been served a cocktail called the hot one mm-hmm. already, which is too bad. That's <laughs> is that, what I, this is that's, what this one's called, I was going to call well, it the good. hot more, one, too. Yeah. More, uh, more well, hot one cocktails, the better, I think. <laughs> well, and I went, instead of going, making it literally um, hot, it's uh, spicy. Mm-hmm. And But uh, that's where I started was with this. Um, I went and bought Jamaican peppers from my local 
um, grocery store and made a simple syrup with them. Um, and it didn't make it that spicy. So it made it a little spicy, but it tastes more like a bell pepper spice than mm-hmm. A, mm-hmm. like an ancho chili spice or something. Uh, and then I added mango juice, but but then mango it was the wrong sort of spice for just mango. You right. know, that sort of dipping dried mm-hmm. mangoes in a... Anyway. Uh, so... <laughs> So I added coconut water, and then I was like, that's not enough either. And then seltzer, and then mint, and then I was like, stop adding things. Mm-hmm. And now that's what now we're here drinking. We are. Yeah. So this is Beyond Booze. This is not with any alcohol in it. This is just a fun drink. I added a little bit of rum to mine because... That's the best thing about a Saturday. Beyond Booze drink <laughs> is that you can recede. You can mm-hmm. go back. Yeah. But also, if you want to plow forward... Right. Well, it has to... I think it has to stand on its own. It has to be good without... Alcohol. That's yeah. the mm-hmm. that's the main thing. Mm-hmm. Anyway. So well, well done, thank you. Oh, I'm, I'm so <laughs> glad it's refreshing you like it. and it's unique. I'm glad. Lots of like complex flavor profile, I think. Yeah, well, I appreciate it. Just um, like you, Christopher. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay, on to uh what'd you buy? Oh yeah. Uh, you start, Drew. I just talked forever. Sure. Um, I This book has been on my radar for a long time, and then I happened to finally just see a copy at Strand, and I was like, is this that book I've been thinking about? Event Factory by uh, Renee Gladman. Mm. It's the first in a series of, I think now, four books about a fictional city uh, called like Ravika, Ravikia. Mm-hmm. I don't actually know how it's pronounced. It's fictional. Um but it it made me think. I read something comparing it to Hav by Jan Morris, which is a book that Alexander Chi recommended very heartily on the show. Um, and it, I love fictional cities. I love the idea of going to a place that you can't actually go to, but it's like this is the next best thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it it's just like it's a a very appealing book. It's sort of square. It's from the Dorothy Project, who oh. did Nell Zink's first book, The Wall Creeper. Um, I love the shape of their books. Yeah, it's They're like very it, cool. You don't you don't often get a square book. No. Books are meant to be rectangular. Or or are or, they? Or, or are they? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Carolyn, you want to? Um, yeah, that sounds good. Jo. I've been, um, you know, connecting with other female debut memoirists this year, as you know, it sort of seems like this community kind of organically forms when you have a book coming out. So I've met a lot of great. Uh, authors, including ones that have written sort of similar in, you know, crime memoir hybrids like mine. And so a woman whose launch I went to in September, her name is Sarah Perry, and she has a book called After the Eclipse Mm. that is actually a New York Times recommended book this week. And it's about her mother's murder in Maine, which happened when she was 12 years old. And as an adult, she goes back and sort of searches for answers. Um, Really, really well done. Harrowing story, you know, tons of tons of years went into that um it wasn't for me it wasn't like a fast read I kind of had to read it in small doses but you know really resonated and there was a lot of little moments that felt similar to mine book which is also a thing I have been thinking about with these investigative memoirs which we can talk about later wow cool the universality sounds, of them yeah yeah that sounds incredible mm-hmm. actually Ugh. Christopher Mother's murder uh yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna talk about something so different. Mm-hmm. Uh, I uh, uh, 
I am trying to get into the Christmas spirit very early um, uh-huh. this year, and I um, right away uh, I put I put myself on the hold list for the new Debbie Maycomber. I guess she put, puts out a Christmas book every single year, and it's called Merry and Bright, and it's about a character whose first name is Mary, spelled huh. like Merry Christmas. Great, and uh, you know it's going to be about like online dating and the season. Hmm. It's going to be nice. Uh, I am looking for a little comfort food, I guess. Um, maybe th- we've we've had a lot of harrowing reading le- mm. recently for the show. Maybe I don't mm. know. That has felt. Tr- I th- I mean, it's just everything just feels more harrowing now. Right. Right. But yeah. Dark times. Dark times in all sorts of ways. If we make it through this, in like the next generation will be there will be a class in colleges where it's like the harrowing reading of the twenty yeah. teens. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like everything is really dark and terrifying. Yeah, you're totally right. Yeah. Fun. Yeah, super fun. We have another harrowing read we're t- discussing now, The Hot One, mm-hmm. your book. Um, which do you want to tell our listeners what it's about if they they haven't sure. encountered it yet? Um, it's a memoir and true crime hybrid about my search for answers around my childhood best friend's murder and she was killed when we were in our early 20s in Hollywood and um, the book follows my research into her alleged killer and the criminal proceedings against him in LA and it's also um, about kind of the universal idea of the friend who got away and how your first childhood friend can really shape your life I think especially for women Mm. Wow. Yeah. Um yeah, that's that's the book um the book takes place over a large amount of time, mm-hmm. which was kind of pleasantly surprising. It starts out and y- there's you're not really thinking about the murder part. You're you're looking into this friendship and it reminded me a little bit of like Julie Bunton's Marlena, this mm-hmm. teenage friendship thing. And then you sort of like smash cut forward and then you're, you you keep mentioning like this thing happened a year later, several right. years later. What was it? How did this come to be? How did you yeah. realize it was a book? Yeah. Um. Well, you know, it's, it's definitely there's a lot of years, like you said, covered in the timeline of the book. And also I was working on it for many years and the structure took a lot of um, sort of evolved in different ways because originally um, my friend died when she was 22 and I was 21 and that was... 2001 and I was had just finished college and um I was really uh shocked and devastated and numb and felt like there's so many unanswered questions about what happened to her and as I wrote about in the book we had had this one sort of fateful last weekend together which was about a year before she died where it felt like we're really in two different places and I learned more about what her life was like in Hollywood and she was really kind of to me, living what seemed like this glamorous, fast-paced, kind of risky to me life that made me feel nervous for her. And it also made me feel like I'm not sure we have much in common anymore. She was dating older guys and actors and working in the sex industry and also had men like, um, you know, she would say, this guy is like paying for the lease on my car. This actor flew me to Toronto to visit him on set. And I was like, you know, I was the sort of, Um, more introverted regular student that was only just sort of having my first dating experiences and I knew that Ashley seemed to be in a totally different world um 
And then a year later, I learned that she had been murdered in our town newspaper in New Jersey. It, it was reported that, you know, former PPAC resident was found murdered in Hollywood. Mm. And immediately I was like, what's what, you know, what's the connection here? All I knew about is what was going on with her about a year and a half ago. And, you know, does it have something to do with drugs? Did it have something to do with um, stripping? I had no idea. I knew that I wanted to find out more and I had no way to do that or I had no idea how I would do that. Um, and so... You know, as the years went on throughout my 20s, that we, you know, the case was sort of still cold. I never learned more about if there was any suspects. Her family was not, was sort of in and out of touch. So we didn't really get information from them. They already, they lived on the West Coast. Mm. Um, and I thought one day if I ever read a book, I want it to be about Ashley and finding out what happened to her. But mm. I have no idea if and when that will be or if I'll ever feel confident enough to do that. And then, so it was part of the long process was like learning how to write a book at while you were some of it, yeah, um, but then another thing that happened in my twenties is as I would start to talk about her with people that didn't know her, I was recognizing that people were relating her story to their own friend who got away, that everyone sort of had this friend from childhood that maybe you started out in very similar places and ended up taking different paths and you still think of that person and it can feel complicated and painful and I you know was hearing stories from people about yeah that's what that was like when my friend you know was the more sexually adventurous one or this was the guy that tried was more experimental with drugs and the person you compared yourself to or the person you kind of worried about and I recognized that there were these bigger themes there and so I felt like, okay, I know there's enough here for a book, but how do I do it and when do I do it? And then, you know, the real impetus came in, not to give too much away, but in 2008, a man was arrested for her murder who was connected to three other victims in Illinois and Los Angeles. So, and that was also my first year at New York Magazine, and I felt like, okay, like, ready or not, now is the time to mm -hmm. dig into the story, and I can pitch a book that follows the sort of real-time court narrative and then it can also be about exploring these other issues about female friendship and sex and comparison um and then what happened is I wrote the book on proposal and sold it right after the preliminary hearing which happened in 2010 when I had originally thought that the trial was going to be happening soon. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and of course, you know, no, spoiler alert, like the trial still hasn't <laughs> happened in the year 2017. Yeah. So the book took a different, I had to take a different shape and I had many years of kind of getting extensions and trying to figure out was I, you know, could I find another way to do this beyond following the trial, which is what I thought was going to be the only way to do it. Right. Well, I mean, that's the thing about narrative nonfiction yeah. versus like fiction or anything else is that you I don't know we read a lot of fiction in for our show and, and in our lives and so it's when we're as an audience when you're reading this book I'm you know you're always being reminded like oh right like real life doesn't have yeah the ex doesn't follow narrative expectations mm -hmm. um so I mean how did it feel to be pulling at those threads and trying to create one yeah it's a uh it's it's hard it's hard it's a it's a sort of wild experience to take your own life and years and years of experiences and how to figure out what is a narrative thread here what's the theme how do I is it you know is it 
necess- what the impl- ethical implications of like picking and choosing different scenes to add up to the thesis that you want about what you're trying to say. And for me, my big themes were about, you know, the title The Hot One comes from what I think is how girls are implicitly sort of held up in comparison to each other by our culture when you have kind of two or a group of them together how is it that one becomes the hot one or the smart one and how do those labels take shape and how they start to influence your sense of self when you're Mm -hmm. growing up how do you figure out how the world sees you and what that means and you know uh Ashley was definitely seen as the hot one in the last years of her life may be the time that we weren't as close, but you know, my book sort of explores what were the seeds of that in childhood between the two of us when we were, you know, nine year olds just sort of playing piano and doing regular, um, just sort of wholesome like, <laughs> activities, you know? Right. So, but the hardest part of like trying to put the thread together was when I decided I was going to finish the book without the trial. And I had been getting extensions from my publisher and waiting and, you know, going out to L.A. multiple times a year and interviewing people and having all these experiences, like five years of experiences and interviews without the, the structure of this trial that was supposed to be there and was supposed to, you know, give things an arc. And then it wasn't there. So what what do I how do I fit that together? So. I mean, you guys can give your reaction of how you think it worked, but that was that was hard, and I think could have gone a lot of different ways. It there was something challenging about it because mm-hmm. we, as I think societally, like just in the fact there are so many crime shows and so yeah. many law shows. Like my girlfriend and I are watching The Good Wife right now, and yeah. it just like you we are trained to expect these particular arcs and mm-hmm. these particular pieces of resolution, especially when you bring up court. Like, mm-hmm. like court feels like it's supposed to be one of those places where there's been a crime, there will be accusations, there will be questions, and then there will be a judgment. Yeah. And I I realize how problematic that like societal narrative is while reading this book because I was like, oh shit, things don't have that kind of resolution. Right. right. And you kind of mentioned that you were expecting that from those same like you're you're using pop culture to be like mm-hmm. uh, this is how I was sort of expecting things were to go. Right. Um, but do you think that pop culture is actually helpful then in helping you navigate this and construct the narrative? Or was it more like, oh, I just am going to keep having to fight against everyone's wrong expectations? Yeah, I'm, I I don't know. It's It's two ways. It's like both, you know, some readers and, you know, people who maybe haven't experienced close up the a criminal proceeding might think, uh, yeah, so, you know, where's closure? Isn't, won't the court you know, verdict, bring closure. And I, that's something I talk about in the book too, in a way that closure to me feels like more and more vague now than, you know, even years ago that I think if you have something like a trauma or if you have even not a trauma, some, you know, very formative event, it never just gets wrapped up in a bow and you've like moved on at any certain time. It's always a part of you and your feelings and perspectives around loss or around, um, something else painful that you experience continue to evolve and as you continue to evolve. And so um, for me, you know, if and when this trial happens and now they're saying maybe it's going to start in like February 2018, hmm. I definitely don't expect that'll still just be, you know, one part of this process for me. And I definitely don't feel like, okay, by the end of that, 
I'll have closure finally. Or even I, I'm still grappling with like if the verdict, if I'll if I'll even feel um, confident in the verdict in a way, or what it even means. Because I know enough now from seeing court proceedings that you know a verdict isn't the same as the truth. And so mm-hmm. even if a judge and a jury decides that this is the way it happens, it, it just means that those people decided that or that's the strongest case that the prosecutor had and so that's what was decided but that still doesn't prove 100% that that is how the events happened and you know with Ashley's murder there's no DNA evidence and there's no hidden camera and you know at the end of the day who no one will ever know exactly how it happened right You um you kind of br- you brought this up really poignantly for me um in the book where that just like someone else is called up on the stand and the and over and over it's just like is this person like was Ashley promiscuous mm-hmm. like over and over like yeah that's all that gets asked in different ways of yeah. everyone like and then you say like a scale of one to ten yeah it's the <laughs> um, sluttiness scale of like yeah. why don't we just say it that way because because that's know, all they have they're a doing. lot of different ways like did she entertain the company of men like in her bedroom or you know was she someone that was considered you know sexually you know they would say promiscuous sometimes but it was just kind of like every every witness that would be something that the defense would you know start with and and, the, and like it's it's amazing to me to to bring this up in that conversation and be like and therefore like what steps are what so she should should have been like she was open to being murdered like yeah that that's what yeah. that means it's a uh, it's it just makes your skin crawl. Yeah. You know, well, another thing that I have been, you know, appreciating having the opportunity to talk about with this book is um, I hope that it can sort of push back a little bit on the way that female victims are treated in a lot of uh, media and in popular culture that sort of slut shaming and victim blaming are sort of really so quickly follow behind any female victim of a crime. And, you know, we're in this age where they were consuming true crime and all over the place with either, you know, serial or mine hunter. And there's there's all mm-hmm. these stories all the time of um, these crime narratives. But most of the time they're made by men. And even if the victims are women, the focus is still men and like getting inside the mind of the killer or following this like detective that won't let it drop. And, you know. Where where is sort of the humanity of the female victims and where is like what I would consider like a feminist perspective on this true crime space? Like why are why are these stories of female victims mostly being told by men still? And so yeah. I think that, you know, in that book, Sarah Perry's uh, After the Eclipse that I was talking about earlier, I feel like we're getting a few more this year and they've been in a, a couple of trend pieces have come out, which I appreciate that are beginning to explore what what are we what are women bringing to this true crime space that's different Mm. i think there is a lot your book and marlena were sort of i think they were introduced to me in the same sentence Mm -hmm. um and so i was just curious if you find yourself drawn to the that female friendship narrative like Lori Moore writes about it too mm-hmm. in uh, Who Run the Frog Hospital. Mm-hmm. Do you do you want to read those or are you like I lived it? Like, I don't need um, that. It's interesting. I 
I sort of have been dipping in and out of reading things that are feel too close versus, you know, I'm also nourished by them. So, you know, I read some of the Ferranti books and I like a lot of female friendship movies. Um, and then as far as female friendship narratives, I'm not, I'm not necessarily reading them all right now Mm -hmm. in the same way. I'm not reading all the necessarily the female crime books right now, but I, I certainly will be a, um, vocal proponent of that. These stories are important and that we, we, I think we do need more and, you know, varied depictions of female friendship and female relationship and sort of the love and trouble book kind of has touches on a lot of those themes, but Mm. I, I'm sort of I'm somewhere in the middle. I I support that, but I I'm not consuming all of it. Mm. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I feel like in in your book in in um, the hot one and in Love and Trouble, Claire Dieter's book Dieter. Dieterer. Yeah, it's Dieterer. She, not, I not, it's not, yeah. it doesn't rhyme with Federer, yeah. It's Dieterer, <laughs> um, I assume. She did say it's not Federer, but she mm-hmm. didn't say how to do it instead. Um, but so in Love and Trouble and in your book, I feel like there's this like um, apology for trying to tell your story alongside of like, um, you're, you're trying to tell like your Carolyn's story mm-hmm. against ashley's and sometimes you're like oh i'm sorry i'm gonna introduce Mm -hmm. something about me here Mm. and i feel like claire does the same thing when she's talking about like especially the uh polanski Mm -hmm. um connection that she brings up a couple times she apologizes for for bringing up samantha and herself in the same sentence Mm. and um i i thought that was i don't know i i just thought it was worth remarking on that there was these two that i i guess reading them very close to each other made Mm -hmm. me think about the um, parallels yeah yeah but so claire dieter's um that we're talking about uh, love and trouble a midlife reckoning is what you brought with mm-hmm. us uh to us yeah that's a book i read um, like as soon as it came out i was really excited around about the advanced press for us that it was this sort of you know dynamic voicey memoir about how kind of teenage girlhood sexuality is like still with us in middle age and you know they're it's kind of linked essays and they uh, sort of go touch on a bunch of different themes but they're also the through line is that she goes back and quotes from her teenage and early 20s diaries where there was just all this sort of raw energy about you know sexual exploration and excitement and anger and you know she was sort of a punk and was in Seattle and doing a lot of risky behavior for a for a girl in the 80s and it's it's reflecting on sort of where all that energy goes in middle age and also about how growing up in the sh- in the shadow of you know how the patri- patriarchy sexualizes girls from a young age before you really understand what's going on and some of her formative experiences with older men when she was very young i i just really consumed that book really quickly and was really excited by it and today i was just looking over it again with some thinking about things i want to talk to you guys about but what did you guys think? I mean, you have two very sort of female-centered, female-oriented books here, right? And wh- how? What are you feeling about them as a not I re- female? I mean, I really <laughs> dug Claire's book because it, yeah. it, it felt like it was a voice that I have seen sometimes in fiction, but I feel like I've very rarely seen it in nonfiction. I've it it felt open and honest in a way 
that she then also like it was challenging not just in the unabashed female presentation of like here's who i am here's what's up there was also like a i mean it 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 hit our moment so passionately Mm -hmm. the roman polanski the dear roman polanski Mm -hmm. essay stopped me dead in my tracks Mm -hmm. um and i was like especially in this current exactly i was like this book is for right now Yeah. yeah Yeah, um, I I was sort of struck by another connection that I saw with your book where um, you kind of you described Ashley as like looking at the male gaze and like staring back. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Claire has that exact same yeah. like she she mm-hmm. saw the male gaze and she's like, OK, I'm going to hold it and I'm going to yeah. stare right back into it. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like she sets herself up as an unreliable narrator mm-hmm. as well, mm-hmm. um, which was interesting in a memoir yeah there was a moment there's a a chapter towards the end and a particular um sexual encounter that i ended that i ended the book and i was like i don't know if that was real or not Mm. i'm assuming that it is because this Mm -hmm. is a memoir but even the way that she framed it it felt Mm -hmm. dreamier and slightly and she plays with form several times throughout the book in ways that i really enjoyed um yeah, there was a lot of writing experiments. There was uh, there was a collective um, essay in there where mm-hmm. she does the we, and mm-hmm. then she does a couple second person pieces where it's you, yeah, um, um, talking to herself. Yeah, I thought that I thought all of that was really exciting too. It's like she she has a just a, yeah very unusual energy and voice and perspective, and so this made me want to go back and read. She had a much more she had a best selling memoir from four years ago called Poser that Mm -hmm. I think, you know, good for her that it got marketed as, you know, this anyone who does yoga would be into it, but that's not really what it's about at all. It has a lot of this same like angry, raw energy and reckoning with female expectations and all of that. And then it's also about learning yoga at the same time. But that, that book was also really awesome i read that one second but this one is you know all the experimental parts of poser but really just compressed and you know amplified yeah if i encountered her at a party Mm -hmm. i would feel like really nervous about (laughs) about how she was evaluating me Mm. versus how she was interacting with me because you feel like you're meeting her, you really do feel like mm-hmm. you're you're coming into contact with her in this very intimate way. So ne- of course, I kind of think about the lens turned, her lens turned yeah. back on me. I'm just like, uh oh, I don't know how we would interact after I know how she feels about interacting mm-hmm. with people. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. The, did you guys do you guys do that when you're reading a memoir at all? Like, just think about like you've met them now and you know all this mm-hmm. about them, right? Like reading a memoir and then meeting the author. Yeah, if you yeah, yeah, that's definitely that feels like you know a ton of personal stuff. But one thing that I was wondering about that I'm sort of still exploring is what is the appropriate way to, what's the appropriate tone to take when you're promoting a book that's about a kind of very dark, serious, true topic in this way? And you know, two women I've met this year and become friends with Sarah Perry and also Leah Carroll, who wrote a book called Down City about her mother's murder. Um, And I remember going to Leah Carroll's launch event in March and being like, I'm 
interested in, you know, what tone she'll take and how, because, you know, a book launch is kind of celebratory and people are happy for you. But then it's like, well, this is about a murder or my friend's murder or my mother's murder. And, feel you know, even on social media, how what emojis are pr- appropriate to <laughs> use when you're even, even you're promoting things in this way. Cause it's, you know, it's about a sad topic. It's about loss. It's about someone else's life. How do you do it? So I don't know if there's any one right answer, but I, I will say that for the most part, the authors that I've met who have been um, experienced loss and crimes are still, you know, upbeat and seem like dynamic, uh, great, curious, enthusiastic people when I meet them. And so, but a thing that's interesting reading Sarah's book and reading Leah's book and my book, it's been uncanny to recognize these moments in all of our books that are almost exactly the same. Mm-hmm. And that's been kind of profound in a way that I don't know, it maybe speaks to the idea of if you're a person, whether you're a writer or not, that is wanting to search for answers and, you know, and to process loss through wanting to get more information and wanting to, you know, keep going into that wound, then maybe you're going to have a certain way of thinking about things. And so all three of us had moments in our book that were almost the same language around like what it was like to find the, go through the coroner's report of our, Mm. of our, their mother or my friend or what it, you know, the, the feelings of, uh, you know, confusion about approaching certain friends of the victim and all of that stuff. And I found that really uncanny and fascinating. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's also just the way that your book is packaged versus like what's inside. Because mm. this is like, it's, oh, yeah, it's a pretty, oh, yeah. it's like a lurid cover. Oh, I'd love to hear your <laughs> thoughts on the cover and the how it meets or doesn't meet expectations. Well, I think it's one of those things where you almost, it's, it's almost a let's like a maybe, trick. Let's maybe. describe the cover for yeah. Our it's a um, listeners. Uh, it's a it's glossy and mm-hmm. shiny. Um, says the hot one in like a in in like heat vision. Yeah, it almost looks <laughs> like watercolor. Yeah, on yeah. top of a, a sort of gray palm tree background, mm-hmm. um, and it's sort of burning in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on top of it is is your subtitle a mm-hmm. memoir of friendship sex and murder mm-hmm. and so i just think that when i when i walked into this book um i was thinking i guess i was thinking it was going to be just more um flashbang and sort mm-hmm. of uh more like a more like a i guess like spring breakers i guess was i uh-huh. is what i had <laughs> in my head that movie um uh-huh. that came out a couple of years ago just like that sort of neon mm. and maybe like things wouldn't land with like violence wouldn't land with the mm. same sort of like mm. uh, um punctuation for some reason but of mm. course but then like as soon as you start reading it you realize like oh this is like one of those things where like just because something comes in a package like this that doesn't mean that like it's not going to have like really harrowing and very mm. um deeply felt writing mm. so i think that that was it was one of those things where you're the packaging matches the form of the book where it's just like you actually see people and you have this idea of them but they have something different underneath yeah that actually i mean there's something there's a moment in claire's book where she's talking to somebody about um chiclet essentially and how guys will just like toss a book over their shoulder if they look at it and it is packaged mm-hmm. as though it is being sold specifically towards women mm-hmm. and i like i deeply enjoy the fact that 
this is the kind like you could show this to like a bro and be like, oh, yeah, that looks like a cool crime book, right? And it, there's something about defeating the traditional expectation of like this is a memoir about female friendship and murder. It like you look at this book and you're like, oh, it that's gonna transcend the gender thing mm-hmm. in a way that I I hope that is gonna continue to be a trend pushing forward of mm. like. There's there is universality universality mm-hmm. to the experiences in this book. Mm-hmm. Do you got did you have a friend either of you that this reminded you of or some formative relationship that your scene the scene in New York with mm-hmm. you and Ashley reminded me of a friend of mine from college um, where we like we hadn't seen each other in a couple of years he came to see me in New York and we we had been best friends in college and we ended up having like a drunken screaming match mm. in Union Square and I have not spoken to him since. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and it was just, it was this moment of both of us being like, who are you? Uh-huh. Um, mm. Not even, like the differences were not even that great but yeah. we just didn't recognize each other anymore. Mm. Mm. I think I did the other thing where I was presented with someone who was making choices that scared me mm-hmm. and I was like, okay, I guess I'll just move past them because they're going down a path that I'm not going to walk down with them. Mm-hmm. So I think that uh, I, I think that I just see like where instead of supporting them or trying to see what they were doing, I just walked on. Mm-hmm. And I think that that book made me sort of realize, your book made me realize that a little bit. There was an image in Claire's book that I wanted to ask you guys if it caught your eyes um, where there was a um, she's talking about her friend that hangs a sewing needle in the middle of her one studio room um, and it just hangs down and it was supposed to focus her thinking Uh. and then she tries it too and left it up for months but it didn't Mm. help her in the same way that it was helping her friend. I I don't know why like that's that very much captured my imagination of mm. like, that makes sense to me why that would focus yeah. your thinking. Cause it would be like uh, this very, um, you know, sharp, violent little thing mm-hmm. that's hanging in floating space around your apartment that you have to keep being aware of. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you've put it up with intention. Mm-hmm. Was that her artist best friend that did that? I don't remember. It was very, it was closer to the end. I don't know. Exa- mm. I think she just says like, my friend told me about this. I don't mm. think it's Vic um, okay. who is like the, I think her closest friend right. and it's, I, I love any time that Vic was on the page. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, I, I like their relationship a lot. Me too. I think I'm, I think I tried to find Vic on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think she's on there. Yeah. Those. Did you clock that Drew? I remember thinking about it and then being like, why would a person do that? To themselves? <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, I feel like, um, I'm, I feel like all of it collected her voice is very um it's it's very all encompassing and I kind of feel like it, it this is a collection that I I read faster because I was trying to read it in time for the show mm-hmm. but if I I wish I had spent more time and taken time away from her voice and coming mm-hmm. back into it and I think because I think like reading it all straight through I don't know I don't yeah. I I I kind of wish it was a longer experience that i was more dipping into Mm -hmm. and out of do you guys know what i mean there is something to that like it's a very intense conversation to have if you have it in like 
a single conversation where just like, wow, we just met and you told me all this stuff. Yeah. So I can understand. I read it in, I think, two days. Just because, I mean, it does read really fast. Yeah. Her voice is gripping. Yeah. But I can understand that thing of wanting to be like, I need a minute. Well, there's also a lot of dialogue, a lot of like... um uh, just lists of things like she really is using a, a bunch of different forms mm-hmm. at all times mm-hmm. um it seems like she she was really like just firing on all of her levels while she was doing this which mm-hmm. is cool it's a cool thing to be reading do you guys the reckoning did she reckon with herself mm. i mean uh this happens when we have guests on the show and they bring a book and you start finding these lovely parallels. Mm. I feel like both of both books, there is that sense of like, we can only reckon with so much because Mm -hmm. the, there's not going to be closure. You're not all of a sudden going to figure out, Oh, I've solved midlife Uh or like even when a verdict comes down, that doesn't change what has happened. Yeah. So I kind of liked that by the end, by the end of this book, Claire is sort of like, I don't know. Life's pretty crazy. Yeah. I mean, a reckoning can be, doesn't mean that you necessarily arrive at anywhere, I think, also. And I, I think what her book does is just, it's holding it up and exploring it, processing it. I think kind of, to me, I what I appreciate most about it is just that it's elevating these topics like this woman at the age that she is and the experiences that she's had it's making just articulating that is making it important and sort of she's holding that forward as this is worth considering um and that's kind of what i love about memoir and what i think certainly is like powerful about women writing memoir because at the base of it is having to say my life story or my version of these events i believe are worth you your consideration you know mm, and that's, yeah that's, that's like a thing that structurally there are a lot of forces that make it um challenging for women to feel that to, to feel empowered to be doing that mm. yeah totally there's one thing that she said that i that i think is going to be of a huge takeaway for me that i'm going to keep thinking about where she said half of the people in the world want to be like want to be having sex with their partner and half the people in the world don't want to be having sex with their partner and those people are married (laughs) um and like and she's like that's everybody and it's not along gender lines Uh at all it's just like it seems like there's someone who wants it and someone who doesn't and it's 50 50 and those people got married for some reason Uh right uh i uh i hope that that's not true (laughs) um but it was something that i'm going to keep thinking about yeah she has uh, i think i'm actually impressed by her sex life i think that that was like one of my takeaways from the book i think it's but also you know surprising i'm not i'm not yet in my mid-40s and so the idea of like oh you can have this sexual reawakening in your mid-40s or like many years after kids and that's something surprising certainly that you don't hear about that's definitely true yeah there's something and and i'm hoping that as we are coming into this moment where we are full-on addressing um toxic masculinity Mm -hmm. that i hope on the flip side people are going to be less afraid of this story i feel like that is it like men especially are afraid of women rediscovering their sexuality for mm-hmm. some reason. I don't know if it is a control thing, if it is a whole bunch of things that like I don't have the PhD to be able to think about. 
Right. I don't think we're going to solve it on the podcast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I, I like the idea that these are stories that now, if you don't, like, you don't have to read it, but also you can't be upset that it exists. You, mm. like, you have to face it in one way or another. Mm-hmm. Definitely. You have to reckon with it. Hey. Mm-hmm. Nice. Well, I I think we can wholeheartedly recommend both of these books. Yeah. And also move into recommending some other things that we've come across in our reading travels. Sure. Mm-hmm. We read some pretty cool books. We recommend you take a look. Yeah. Do you want to start? Uh, yeah, I do want to start. <laughs> um, I read Vacation Land by John Hodgman. Mm. Um, and I have been a huge fan of John Hodgman for a long time. And, uh, he actually is one of the big reasons we have a podcast. I think uh, listening mm. to Gen- Judge John Hodgman was one of the things that made me want to have my own show. Yeah. Um, and Vacation Land, I've just been waiting for more writing from him ever since he finished his Areas of Ex- My Expertise series. And I, I was so excited that it was just like him being like, all right, I don't I actually didn't have a lot to give you guys. I thought I had more, but it turns out I had three books of fake facts and that might have been it. Mm. He's like, and this is what I'm left with. I hope it's sort of interesting. Um, and it was. There's this essay where he's doing this reading in strange circumstances and ends up like with um, a dad and son who love Pitchfork and like all of that music. Uh, and that music scene and he's like i know some of these bands like he thinks he can hang with them but he can't um and it's just i don't know he's he's very honest and it's he's got his great sort of wry voice on and it's just fantastic nice Um, and it's got a gorgeous gorgeous cover too just a beautiful book um so that's my recommendation Hmm. carolyn do you want to go next sure um well i just read this in this week's New Yorker profile of Tulsi Gabbard, the congresswoman from Hawaii. And I want to, I don't even, this recommendation is sort of like a, it's more like I want other people to read this so that I can talk about it. Cause it's really a wild and twisty. Did you read it? I did. Um, really strange. What is that about? What are we supposed to make of uh, who this person is and what they're saying about if she is benevolent or not? I don't know. Yeah, it, it is. She's one of like the people who is starting to come into the national political consciousness. Mm-hmm. And this feels like a really this feels like a um a really interesting way to like prod that conversation forward mm-hmm. of she doesn't quite fit traditional political molds and yet she definitely does. And how do you reconcile those two things? Mm. It's wow. really strange, but no, I mean, but then there's more. I had read someone tweeted something like, "Can we talk about this like crazy twist in the middle of the Tulsi Gabbard profile?" And then I was like, "Ooh, what is that?" And am I gonna like get it? And then no, you definitely get oh, it. Oh yeah. <laughs> and then the whole half of the profile is about kind of something totally different. And then at the end, you're like, "What? What's going on?" Mm. It, it's about her. Uh, some of her it's about her spiritual background and these guides and these gurus in this maybe kind of shifty world of hawaiian 
gurus that are sort of descended from Hinduism and their business practices and their interweb of relationships. Mm. Yeah. The shifty world of Hawaiian gurus. <laughs> I mean, sort of. Is that a, <laughs> that I don't sounds, know if I. No, it, is that's misstating it, but that's that's kind of that's what's fresh on my mind now. Today. Yeah, that yeah. sounds really intriguing. I'm definitely going to check that yeah. out. Uh, Drew, um, I'm going to recommend uh, another memoir. Um, my book club just read Nadja Spiegelman's "I'm Supposed to Protect You from All This," mm. and. It is one of the most engaging and interesting memoirs that I've read in a long time. Almost, um, you don't expect it to be. Like, your expectations are, okay, this is a mother-daughter story, great. And there's something about the way that Nadja writes that pulls you, like, she is as much a character, sort of, There, there's no apology, or there's no, I'm going to insert myself into this story. From the beginning, she is just a part of the story. Mm. And actually, when she pulls herself out of the story, the book starts to falter a little bit. Um, but it was like, as she writes, like her birth was announced by an asterisk in Mouse. Like she is, she was famous from the day she was born in this weird way that nobody, very few other people get to experience. Mm. Um, but then the fact that her dad is barely in this book and she's like, nah, we are going down the matrilineal line. It, it's just, it was really, really good. Mm. Um, cool. Yeah. I was really, really impressed. Great title. Yeah. Thanks for every, thanks for joining yeah. us, Carolyn. We this really a appreciate it. for bringing these books. What a wonderful way to spend a Saturday afternoon. <laughs> I'm glad you think so. We mm-hmm. we think so. We too. think so. We do. And if you also enjoyed listening to us, um, go ahead and uh, leave us an iTunes review. We really appreciate those. It's always nice. And we also have a Patreon, uh, Patreon.com/smdb. So many damn books. Um, and uh, we have different levels that you can help us out at if you'd like to contribute or you can just listen and enjoy it because we like that too yep we appreciate it all 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 the ways and uh thanks again carolyn yeah thank you guys and uh goodbye goodbye out there goodbye bye everyone it is always weird i don't know how to end it you know (laughs) yeah we're bad at it yeah do you you, you're experimenting with uh (laughs) sign-offs we yeah we don't have a it's not really a stay classy san diego (laughs) (laughs) We don't have one of those yet. The distance isn't fair to cross. I was out of your league.